Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ online at RadioNorthland.org where you can check us out live and in the moment or you can go to our SoundCloud page, Radio Northland, and check out all the old episodes, oh, 10 years plus of these darn things. I'm Glenn Brockett with you once again, first in the new year, 2023. Yes, and uh, we are trying some new stuff here in 2023. We're changing the way we record the program, so uh, if there's any sort of audio glitches here and there this week, please, please bear with us. This is our first uh, voyage uh, using this method. And with that, I uh, welcome uh, from deep in, down there, deep in the heart of Texas, my co-host, the Grizzle Vet, Mike McCurdy. And uh, Mike, uh, boy... We're, I'm good to go, and I know you're ready to go for wrestling memories, and I'm pretty excited uh, uh, for you know this year. And I've been watching a little bit more AEW than I do, of course, WWE, and uh, really been liking what's been going on uh, on the pro- on their product. It's been kind of fun, and also I got my tickets to go see uh, AEW uh, Dynamite uh, when they come to Winnipeg here. Uh, in just a few months, in the month of March. So I, Winnipeg for me is like a two, uh, a little over two-hour drive. Grew up on Canadian content, so this is kind of, a, and I always go up to Canada at least a couple of months, uh, every couple of months. So I'm really looking forward to checking out my first AEW live event. Uh, should be should be quite good. They come to Texas all the time. I just have not had a chance to go uh, uh, see them yet. A lot of our local talent's been on there. Uh, Exodus Prime was on rampage and dynamite recently so i'm gonna check it out you know being that close though you said a two-hour drive you know maybe we should reach out to aew and see if we can get a you know someone to come on the show and promote the winnipeg i mean you know, two hour time difference some people might travel up there to go check it out i mean that's what you're doing maybe we well, get some aew talent on here to talk some wrestling memories with us Actually, I'm in connection. I've been in connection with uh, the people who kind of run the venues in Winnipeg, uh, True North Entertainment. So I have a connection there. So, hey, this may be starting in pipe dream mode, but it's uh, definitely got some possibilities. And speaking of got some possibilities, we definitely are, are coming into this year uh, Yeah, with a, with a fantastic guest. I love watching his content. Why? Because... I guess he he fits that wheelhouse with me as some some of the stuff he does cover some of the older wrestling. I mean, he stays a little bit in the new, not quite as much. He's kind of like me, dips his toe into that stuff. But for the most part, this guy puts on a great all around show. I've seen him eat some very interesting things when he has his viewer mailbag stuff. Uh, Mike, you've known him a lot longer than I, so I'm going to give you the honors to introduce our our gentleman guest here for today. I, I have known this gentleman for eh, maybe a few years. I think we met around 2004. I was there to witness his professional wrestling debut. We might talk about that. Yes, this man actually was in the ring, inside the squared circle as a professional wrestler. We might talk about that a little bit. But a lot of our listeners are going to recognize him as the host and, well, creator of Wrestling With Regret. My son is a huge fan of the show. He watches it all the time. Uh, A little funny story about that one as well. Uh, You might have also seen him on a little bit of Ring of Honor and like I said, you, you might have found this uh, professional wrestling debut on YouTube, but you know, we'll we'll talk about that. Our guest this week is none other than Brian Zane. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Uh, I don't know if I want to talk about my pro wrestling debut all the way back in <laughs> 2005 or six it was, but uh, yeah, I'm, it's always good for a laugh. So, but yes, thank you for having me on. It's good to be here. The first guest of the new year. It's- well, Mike, I think the beginning of my wrestling love, it kind of came when I was in about seventh grade in middle school. So this is about 97 is when this happened. 
And, uh, you know, it wasn't a particular match or person or show that got me into wrestling. It was actually a video game. Some of you might know what this is. It's uh, WCW versus NWO World Tour for the N64. Oh, yeah. Um, It was a game that, you know, my friend just rented from the store randomly one weekend. And, like, neither of us really cared about wrestling at the time. But, like, I don't even know Mm -hmm. why he picked it. But we played it for the whole weekend. And we were just, like zombies playing it all the time the whole <laughs> weekend it was it was great but like i fell in love with like the black ninja which i found out wasn't a real character but like i found a lot of different uh that was a lot of just very cool stuff to see these characters these larger than life characters and then learning about when wcw was running on the listings and kind of watching that out of curiosity oh t- i wonder what the big deal is about wrath and diamond dallas page and glacier and why they're all like hidden characters um, and so, yeah, I kind of got hooked that way and I started watching WWF from there and, and I would do back and forth. I was one of those kids who like flipped back and forth on the cable box to watch both Raw and Nitro. And so this is like summer of, it might not have even been 97. It was, uh, it was more than 98 actually is when this happened. <clears throat> so it was, um, yeah, cause I do vividly remember one of my first like wrestling storylines I really began to follow was like Steve Austin fighting the undertaker on the highway to hell. Um, but that's kind of why I got my start being into wrestling. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. And it was a, it was a passion that I never really looked away from ever since. Yeah, there was some, there were some great games back in that time. I mean, you mentioned that one, but you also had, uh, uh, WCW versus NWO revenge. There was, there's a lot of them. That was a kind of a classic thing. And honestly, I think you're one of the first guests that's ever said that they got into wrestling based on a video game. Most everybody, you know, there was... They saw, you know, Shawn Michaels, or they saw Hulk Hogan for the first time in the '80s. And I think you're the first video game uh, interest yeah. on that one. That's how I got into football too. I didn't really care about uh, American football until I started playing Madden '04 in college. Then all of a sudden, it was like another obsession of mine. So uh, that that went away though. I'm glad I don't follow football anymore because I don't think uh, it's just it's too emotional for me. I'm glad I didn't watch the the Holiday Bowl, for example. I didn't, <laughs> or whatever it was the one that Oregon played this year, the San Diego game. Um, glad I didn't watch that because it would have given me a heart attack. But um, yeah, it's yeah, video games is how I fell in love with wrestling. I would flip past wrestling as a kid a couple of times, just kind of by accident. I, I think my first wrestling memory must have been like clash of the champions when sting tried to unmask the black scorpion and there was another mask underneath like, i didn't know any of that at the time but like watching stuff back as an adult like oh that's what that was and then i would see like a match with vader for instance and like all this time i would watch wrestling as a child like my parents would walk in and immediately decry it and say oh don't watch this it's fake it's stupid da, da, da. And I was like, okay. And then, like, you know, I, but by 98, though, you couldn't stop me. I was uh, trying to get my fix anyhow, any any way I could. Now, you grew up in uh, Oregon, correct? Yeah, I was Portland, born and raised. I actually live in Springfield now. We just moved here uh, earlier in the year. So, you know, as you're getting involved, kind of learning about wrestling, you're getting into, like you said, the Black Scorpion, which I believe that was 1990. That was the year that yep. Sting won the uh, title from Ric Flair. Um, are you discovering like, you know, Portland wrestling and all that? Cause obviously, you know, internet and everything. And, uh, what were you discovering kind of like, you know, local? Cause obviously the Portland territory was, you know, a huge territory, you know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s by, you know, the nineties when you got in it, I don't know exactly what the, uh, the content was. Yeah. Like, time, but did you find out about Portland wrestling? 
I was kind of ignorant at that age where it's like I knew how to find stuff for like WWF and WCW, but I didn't even know where to begin trying to find local stuff if there was some. I mean, there were some like cable access shows in Portland at the time. That's kind of a relic talking about cable access. But we uh, there were a couple there was at least one wrestling show there uh, a program that would like have interviews uh, with local talent. That's how I first discovered who Buddy Rose was, was watching that cable access show. Um, and I would try and like seek it out. And like, if I saw an ad for wrestling, I would, oh my God, that's amazing. But like, I just didn't know where to look. And I don't know how strong like the local scene was in like 98, 99 compared to like the early 2000s when I got older. Cause I would go, I knew there was, um, the first ever live show I ever went to was in 2003. And that was at Roosevelt high school in Portland. I was a senior in high school and, um, it was a show to celebrate Buddy Rose's 50th birthday. And so it was a lot of local guys, many of whom I would come to know later on as I got in the business. Um, and that was a real trip. And so, but I didn't really know what the local scene was until I really started training for it. And that was like my freshman year of college when I discovered that Buddy and Colonel De Beers had a, a school. So like, yeah, I mean, my knowledge of like what the local scene was really didn't exist until I started training. Now let's talk about that a little bit. You know, you discovered wrestling, like I said, via the video game in, you know, 97, 98. Uh, then you start training when you find out about a school. And, I mean, not just a school. We're talking Buddy Rose and, uh, you know, Ed Wiskowski, Colonel De Beers. You know, not your fly-by-night kind of, you know, backyard wrestling school that, you know, you can find on every street corner nowadays. But what made you decide that, you know, you wanted to, you wanted to train. You wanted to learn to be a wrestler. You actually wanted to get involved in this. Uh, I think it was just the opportunity. I think it was a small seed that was planted when I was like, in middle school and like really gung-ho about wrestling. I thought, oh, wouldn't that be cool if I were a wrestler? Like not really knowing any of the ins and outs. Just, I, just, I just wanted to be part of it somehow. And that dream began a while ago. And then like high school, that dream wasn't really there. Like to an extent, I didn't know like what to seek out. And then um, one day I was you know, again in college and I'm on my computer and I stumble upon I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I looked up like wrestling schools in Portland or what, but I found a link to Buddy Rose's like website somehow and that took me to the link to his school. And then I, you know, that was I'm like, well gosh, it's here, it's available. And then when I was on a phone call, a conference call with Buddy and Ed, they explained the pricing and everything, like I can do this. And so I went and did it. I would take a Greyhound as many weekends as I could up from Eugene to Portland. Uh, to take part in the training and stuff, and that's kind of how I started doing that. So when you started training, and like I said, working with these guys, on, how how what was it like? You know, when you got in there, like you said, you know, you're playing the video games, you see the moves, then you see it on TV. Now you're actually experiencing. You're taking the bumps. You're learning how to, you know, you're you're doing the roles. You're doing. You're running the ropes. What was it like? I mean, that feeling when you first get in the ring it's magical. Like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, I wish I could like bottle up the, the feeling I got. <clears throat> and like, I think looking back, there's a lot of things I would have done differently with my training. I would probably would have trained more, um, and applied myself a bit better. But like, man, those early, those early days of starting to train were, were pretty, Pretty wild, pretty magical is really the best way to describe it. What was it like getting to work with, uh, you know, like I said, Buddy Rose and, you know, 
Ed Wyskowski, because obviously not just, you know, Portland wrestling legends, but obviously Colonel DeBeers, the AWA, Buddy Rose is in the WWF, you know. What was it like getting to work with them? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, working with them was really cool, and it was something that I grew to appreciate as time went on, because, again, when I started watching, or when I started training to wrestle, my knowledge of wrestling history only went back, like, four or five years. So it's like, it's not like I knew deeply who buddy and ed were at the time or really what they what they had contributed um and so i did a little bit of like research on that like in the aftermath or whatever but it was really cool they had they were really smart and they had a lot of great knowledge to impart on on me and the rest of the students and um you know they they didn't you know it's funny because I've, I've gone to other schools since then and i've seen other schools and how they do it and like buddy's buddy and ed's school was not at all like it is now because you see people like they're doing cardio and they're doing all these warm-ups and stuff we really didn't do that at the school and it's sounds like a a kind of a you know an indictment on the school uh but like they really didn't emphasize okay we're going to do cardio for half an hour before we learn to take bumps or whatever it's like you know that's on you to get healthy and get into shape we're just going to teach you like fundamentals and we're going to teach you like how to do these things and like it was it was really interesting kind of seeing that way they taught compared to like how i see schools today it's totally different and um you know it was but it was the right speed for me so i guess in a way it was good it was very much fate that i would find this school because it was like the right kind of speed for me where it's like okay i'm not killing myself doing bump drills and like puking from overexertion or whatever like we're not it's not like that but it was like it was still a really good education on just like the hows and the whys of certain moves and why you do it this way and um yeah from a psychology standpoint i learned so much from these guys so you know i mentioned at the beginning of the show you know you said that you know you're not sure if you want to discuss this but uh let's talk about your 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 debut match is as a yeah well well, which one because canonically there are a couple of them there's one that i did um, you know, long time ago when I was at a car show in Portland and some of the students of Buddy and Ed's were roped in with some Dr. Payne wrestling clinic. Um, that's technically the first match I ever did, but I'm not very proud of it. It's on the channel if you want to see it. And then, then there's uh, my other first match, my official first match, which was at Rock and Roll Pizza in Portland, Oregon. And that was against Buzz Anderson for CPW. And that was in I'll say March of 06. And then like two weeks later or three weeks later, I had like my, I guess you could call it my official first match where it was uh, for Portland wrestling. Um, and that was against Paula Zadora, uh, the big seven foot guy. And um, all of them were interesting in their own way. But I mean, the Paula Zadora one is kind of the one that's known as my first match because it's the one I've kind of promoted the most on my channel. Um, it's really known for like two things, like the reaction shot of me once Paul comes to the door and like you see how big this guy is the first time. And then the, the, the bump I took from his choke slam, in which I kind of land a little high on my back and I basically do a backflip when I land. Uh, to this day, I've never seen anyone take a bump from a choke slam like that before. And so, you know, I, a bit of a point of pride. But yeah, those are those are fun times, and like again, every match was a, a learning experience. And I mean, I don't think I'm, I don't think I did a single match that looked pretty or was without some kind of screw up. Um, and you know, it was it was fun, but it was also kind of like, oh god, I feel like I was kind of being down, you know, uh, dragging the show down because I was just not very good. And uh, 
I, uh, you know, when I made the transition to managing one year later, almost a year to the day after my, my wrestling debut, that's when things really kind of changed for me just from like what I could do and how I could contribute to shows and how I can get my personality across. And, you know, it's a, it's that, that's been easy because talking was always my strong suit. Cutting promos is always something I've enjoyed doing. Um, not so much the wrestling stuff. I remember Ed telling me once or twice, like if I, hell kid, if I could do it all over again, I'd have been a manager. Just take one bump a month or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was, uh, yeah, I think making that move was, it was kind of a humbling experience because it could be seen as like, Oh, I'm giving up on the wrestling thing. But it's like, I just knew that I was at a point where I don't, I, I couldn't, I wasn't, and I couldn't get any better. I was trying, but I just couldn't figure it out. I was just too awkward physically. And that I knew that if I stayed with it, I would just be just job to death. And I would just not eventually fade out. And I was like, well, becoming a manager probably helped, you know, save my career in a way. I still didn't have an that many opportunities to like find work because like managing is such a niche niche position in wrestling. Um, but it just, it made things so much easier for me. Yeah, the the first match I saw you in was the uh, was the Portland wrestling match against Paul Isadora. Although I have seen the other uh, other matches as well, but yeah, you transitioned over into uh, managing, and like I said, you you kind of took like that to a fish to water. I always enjoyed you know watching you work in the ring, and you you had great guys too as far as uh, who you got to manage at that time in the uh, Portland area. But uh, you know, let's talk about your managing style a little bit because I mean you know, and this is a name you may not want to bring up but you know you had a very uh cornet style about you uh mm -hmm. out there at the ring was that something you kind of wanted to do were you purposely trying to go for that or did it just kind of come naturally and it just comparisons happened to be to you know jim cornet yeah i mean i don't it was certainly not intentional because i'm trying to think like when i started how much cornet i had really like uh, scene by that point of his work as a, a manager because at that point again my knowledge of wrestling only went back a certain point and so I was like seeing a lot of Cornette as like a commentator uh, at that point I didn't really see him as a manager even though I knew he was a manager at what point and so I hadn't really gone back to like watch Midnight Express or whatever uh, at that point in my career um, so I think the way I managed just kind of came like naturally, just the way I act just kind of came naturally to me. And then when I look back and watch, oh, sh yeah, there's a lot of cornet similarities there. It's, 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 a, it's unfortunate that I too am a, you know, pasty, young looking white guy with glasses and brown hair. It's like, it's a pretty common look. And it's, and I also well, I, I like to dress kind of loud, but not too loud with my, with my clothes. So I could see people making those comparisons and like i thought it was funny at first and then like when it got, i felt it got to the point where it was like almost taking away from my stuff where um i just feel that my style it was a little bit there's a little bit of cornet in there i felt there was also a little bit of like jimmy hart um and, and things of that nature but um yeah i was just mostly just me was what kind of, but then it kind of turned out to be oh it looks very cornet ish because of how, look how this guy looks and that's kind of partly why I went from like wearing suits and like dress shirts in my early managing days to like transitioning to like the sweatsuits, the uh, velour tracksuits that I, I've worn for for many years and are pretty much a part of my my character now. And that was partly to distance myself from the cornet comparisons, even though I know they can't truly go away. 
Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I would define it. But honestly, like I feel most of the stuff I've done as a manager has done with like not much research of the past managers. It's just kind of me like, here's what Brian Zane, here's what I would do if I were out at the ring and I was like, you know, <clears throat> accompanying this wrestler to the ring. I really wanted him to win for my own benefit. Um, and that's just, yeah, that's kind of how I see every, you know, see a lot of stuff when I'm out there performing. Do you think that helped you that you didn't have knowledge of like past wrestlers, past managers, and you were able to just kind of go out and do what, you know, you thought was kind of, you know, your personality? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a mindset that I've done a lot with my, my life and my career. Like something where people always ask me today, like, Oh, what other wrestling YouTubers do you watch? I really don't watch a lot of other wrestling YouTubers and it's not out of like, Oh, I think they suck or, Oh, I don't think, you know, it's like basically what it boils down to is I don't want to accidentally like get an idea of theirs or I don't want to like, I'd rather, I'd rather come up with a topic on my own and find out that cultaholic or what culture or whoever already did it than me seeing one of their videos and then the seed is planted in my head. I should do that one because then that feels like I'm cheating or stealing from their ideas, which is not my intention. So yeah, I think kind of blissfully going through my early career and not my early managing career and not like seeing what others had done necessarily um, was yeah kind of helpful to me in that way. Uh, And like, that's kind of how I also operate with commentary. I do commentary these days for different uh, organizations and I've never tried to emulate a specific announcer, at least to my knowledge, I've never tried. It's just like, it's just kind of, here's what I would say in this position. And I consider myself to be kind of a, a smart aleck kind of guy in real life. And so if I have an opportunity to, to drop a joke or something in a, in a match, if it's appropriate, then I usually will. And it's just not, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's me. It's, it's my style. And so that's kind of like how I try and, and keep going with it. Well, let's talk about the YouTube channel. You know, we're, obviously we're talking about wrestling with regret. What was the origin of that and, you know, where did you come up with the idea and how did you transition from, you know, being the active at-ring manager into uh, wrestling with regret? Because when I first started watching, you were doing like song parodies and other things and, you know, I still enjoy it. Like I said, my son loves it, but what were the origins kind of of wrestling with regret? Oh, what happened to that guy, the song guy? I miss him. Um, Yeah, wrestling with regret... Yeah, well, I don't know if there's going to be no more songs. It's just an issue of creative bandwidth and manpower and energy to make the music videos anymore. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, Wrestling with Regret came about because you know, when I was in college, I was really big into watching uh, you know, YouTube shows. And there was this archetypal thing, like the angry video game nerd or the nostalgia critic, these two guys who kind of started the cottage industry as it were of like nerdy guys on youtube making video essays about something that's usually like bad and making fun of it and so like it's video games or it's like pop culture or and there's all a bunch of other people have gone on to use that template and kind of like make it their own for different topics so like music and anime and comic books and this and that and like a couple of years had gone by and I was like, huh, like how come like no one's doing this about wrestling? Cause I feel it's really kind of ready made for that. Um, one of my earliest influences was wrestlecrap.com, uh, which is run by RD Reynolds. Who's a hell of a guy, but he was definitely, it was one of my favorite websites in college. And I guess the best way I describe wrestling with regret is kind of my take on that nostalgia critic style of video 
or like it's like a video essay, kind of a video version of wrestle crap where we'll take, hey, here are some cheesy, bad wrestling things and we'll make fun of it and we'll have clips and it'll be a great time. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my thing was kind of looking at the landscape and seeing that no one was really doing that. And so I just decided to take it upon myself like, oh, maybe I'll – I had the idea for a couple of the years and then I finally said, oh, why don't I just buy a camera? Why don't I just like – buy a computer that can edit, edit video properly. Cause I mean, I, I, uh, went to school for video production and I knew how to edit video to a point and go to film. And so I was like, okay, why don't I take these skills that I have and this perspective of somebody in the wrestling business and kind of apply all that to this show. And that's basically what happened was it was just something that I came up with as a way to kind of exercise some demons, so to speak, and kind of like get things off my chest that I'd always wanted to talk about and but with a humorous slant and um yeah put it all to video and have gags and like side characters and it was all it's very kind of like a small thing and it was something to help you know pop me and my friends my other wrestler friends basically um and yeah i kind of did that on and off for like two years starting in 2013 just different ideas and then when i was feeling burnt out i would stop for a little bit and i would kind of like use that time to generate new topic ideas and i would write those I, I was very lucky to have uh, jobs, like real jobs at the time that had a lot of downtime and a lot of time on my computer. So I could use that time to research and write and, you know, stuff like that for my channel. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell the old bosses. But um, <laughs> that was how I spent a lot of my company time. And I think that was very helpful as well. All right. I'm going to bring Glenn into the conversation. I'm sure he's got a couple yeah, yeah, I've been sitting back listening to the wonderful conversation with our guest Brian Zane, of course, wrestling with regret. One of my favorites, uh, as far as I, I always watch it whenever there's a new one. I've I've subscribed, I've done all of that. It's like you and Ring of the Hawk are the ones that I consistently go back to. I do with the cultaholic stuff and all of that. I think it's just the way you guys look at and approach humor that I just find so amusing, and the way you can kind of look back at some of this uh, pro this pro wrestling content, whether it be pro wrestlers making music or movies or just bad pro wrestling you you make it so damn entertaining and it just also just finding the content that you 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 decide on i mean it's not always just the same obvious stuff you guys have dug into some you you have dug into some really really interesting uh uh, interesting uh, topic matter on wrestling with regret one of those that i remember really well from the earlier episodes and it involves Minnesota, of course. You know, I'm up here in the nosebleed section of the state. But this was down a little bit further uh, down south, down by the Twin Cities. Uh, it was about a Minnesota public access station that had these young kids. This is like pre-Mat Rat sort of thing uh, that uh, was up in Canada there. But these kids were like, they had their own wrestling league. They were having their own wrestling show. And they were meeting resistance from the man. I thought it was just one. I mean, I never really even knew about this until you told me this story. And it was one of the most fascinating things I could ever watch because it was just so ridiculous when you're looking at it now. I mean, kids were wrestling on this public access TV, but they wanted to shut these kids down. It's like, it's not like they're mini moguls, but I don't know. It's just one of those that just stuck in my head. And I have to thank you for introducing that to me. That had to have been fascinating going through the clips and archival stuff. Yeah, uh, it was the NWF Kids Pro Wrestling. I believe that was the second episode I ever made, and I would never have discovered it uh, had I, you know, not just kind of one day went on the local library database in Reno. I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's any wrestling material on there. 
And then I, I, I looked, I said, what's an NWF? What is this? And then like I watch it and I realize, oh, it's like this self-produced documentary by the guy who ran it when he was a kid. And, uh, you know, he made, they made this kids wrestling organization that actually ran shows and made money. And it was fascinating. Um, there was a part of me watching it where I'm like, how did this even happen? How did this get made? Like obviously the standards yeah. and like what people were afraid of in the 80s was different than, than now in the 2010s mm -hmm. at the time. And uh, so that was kind of the slant that I took with it. And uh, then I would later actually find out that, you know, Sean Crossan, the guy who who was behind all that stuff, he and I are like we're, on, we're social media friends now. He found me through those videos and like commented on the one that I did. And I, like, well, I got to I got to talk to this guy. Yeah. So like well, about a year later or so, I did like an interview with him and put it on my channel. And that was very eye opening. Um, and I thought it was really cool. Like, it, yeah, and, and that's kind of something that I've always enjoyed about doing my channel is that I always want to be as like informative and entertaining as possible. And I want to open people's eyes to, to new things they hadn't seen before in wrestling. Uh, one of the best comments you could ever give me is somebody is when you say, oh, wow, I had no idea this was a thing or this angle existed or whatever until you talked about it or this show happened. Like, uh, that to me is a great validation because yeah, I think that there's a lot of wrestling stuff out there that deserves to keep be kind of like brought to the light of day, uh, for good and for bad. And mm -hmm. I just, I just love kind of diving into these really quirky, weird historical things a lot more than I have fun. Like, you know, even covering weird things in like more mainstream wrestling is the weirder to me, the better. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, again, some of this stuff, I mean, that goes back into the 80s and 90s. It was sort of that last days of the old territories where some of these shows would be on those various sports channels. And you're wondering why the hell are they on these sports channels, but to get to fill content. And uh, I mean, there's just characters. I mean, there's promotions like Herb Abrams, UWF and, you know, the AWF. But due to your show, you know. I have to think that uh, Jesse Hernandez must have some side of sort of fan club because it seems like whenever there's an odd type of wrestling event in the West Coast or even in the AWF's case, Jesse was kind of there, whether refereeing or working at ringside. He's just one of those guys that uh, was a frequent uh, popper upper on the old uh, wrestling with regret shows. Yeah, Jesse Hernandez. That's funny because like I met him. <laughs> In person, like many years ago, because he had a he had a, a brief relationship or a business relationship with a promoter in Oregon that I worked with, so uh, that's kind of how I got to know Jesse. And the more stuff I would watch and consume, <laughs> especially if it was something that was produced in California uh, during a specific time period, Jesse was always there because it was like you know if if somebody wanted, if somebody wanted to make a movie in the LA area about wrestling, like Jesse seemed to be like the man to get in touch with because he had a ring, he had wrestlers, and he had all this knowledge. And of course, hey, he could ref, so of course he's going to be in the movie. So I think it was fascinating. <laughs> like the more I found things with jesse in it and it was like how how is it i keep stumbling upon this man you can't escape him and that was kind of and, and the best thing is he's taken it all in stride and like he's actually appeared a couple of times in videos yeah. doing like quick cutaways and um that's kind of something i've always been like ha really enjoyed is like if i can talk about a wrestler and then like get them on my show like mm -hmm. that's that's the best for me Mm -hmm. You know, I think Jesse Anderson would be the front runner on most appearances, but another guy who was uh, just in that same vein, and again, he worked for the UW, uh, you know, worked for these promotions too, was, was Billy Anderson. Those guys were like two of the kids that just stayed in the picture. Billy Anderson. Which one is that? Is that... 
Uh, he was uh, he did the announcing for the AWF. He did some some wrestling for a while out on the West Coast. He was uh, working with Jesse and stuff. You see the okay. if you watch those AWF tapes, you, you'll see him. He, you know he's got that great announcer voice and just oh, you know okay. getting yeah, all into yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, again, Jesse Hernandez had like a lot of like you know people who he ran with, especially in LA, and so yeah, there's definitely some overlap. Um, I didn't the, the name of the announcer. I did I didn't catch that the first time watching AWF, but I'm not surprised that uh, he would also be there. I have to go back and watch some of the stuff now, and try and find him. Mm-hmm. We've had him on the program before. He's actually pretty interesting just because of all of his adventures in wrestling, both, you know, working the preliminaries, you know, and then doing ring announcing for even like the WWF when they'd be out in L.A., things like that. I mean, if you want to look for another wrestler to talk about, a guy who has stories and has popped up in places, I think Billy Anderson would be another one to be right up your alley. Excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we... I, there's one of those things. I don't know if you did cover this one or not, but it was something that Mike and I talked about when it first showed up on the now in the States, rest in peace, WWE Network, of course. I'm, it was in the Hidden Gems. And another thing, I'm an AWA guy. I mean, I grew up, my first uh, taste of wrestling was AWA programming from that was broadcast out of Winnipeg. But one of the things that they brought up, you know, of course, um, in this uh you know, one of these secret stash type of items was a, a best been one of these paid corporate shows, and it was the Battle of the Breakfast Cereals. Now, yes, I don't know if that rings a, a bell. My friend and I once we filmed a reaction video to it. Uh-huh. No, it was it was it was like a live stream we did. I think we did like a live thing on okay. Patreon. Uh, we watched it once and it was bizarre. Yeah, that was definitely a weird thing uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, AWA definitely like. They thought outside the box in ways that, like, you know, WWF or Jim Crockett promotions would never dare, it seems. But it's like for, for a company that seemed as like old school as it gets, AWA really liked to just get crazy with it sometimes, man. It's really <laughs> dip into some wild stuff. Yeah, and you know, and the thing at the end too. I mean, Vern was just kind of holding on by by a thread, just trying to in- inject some sort of idea that could, you know, get them money. And then, of course, uh, also on the network, they had the uh, now infamous uh, pilot that they were going to shop out for the Team Challenge series that involved the interactive those those crowd shots. It's supposed to be looking some sort of like futuristic sort of thing that really. I mean, it's it's something fun to watch now, but you look at it and it, it's a colossal cluster blank. Yeah, right. No, I mean, it's it's things that, you know, at the time seemed good and innovative and like, you know, ooh, fancy new graphics. And then, of course, they <laughs> age like milk. So that's just that's the that's the uh, the risk you take when you try some experimental stuff. Oh, most most definitely. And uh, uh, I want to talk a little bit, talked a little bit about training with Ed Wasowski, uh, Colonel De Beers and, and Buddy Rose. Buddy, of course, Paul Pershman, Minnesota guy again. I always want to know kind of what was it like to kind of, you know, get in, you know, pick their minds you know, and learn from them, and just what were their personalities, just as humans? What did you get a read off of them as far as uh, what it was like to be around them, not only just in a training capacity? I mean, honestly, I, I don't, I can't speak too much to them, like as people outside of training, because I didn't spend a whole lot of time with them outside okay. of training, like uh, compared to some of my other colleagues, like uh, Jason Sullivan and Cameron Starr, uh, Drexel. Those guys were way closer to Buddy than I than I really was, I think. But I mean, I had an appreciation for them, and then talking to them like when we weren't like doing drills or whatever. I mean, they were just really down to earth folks. Like they have like really interesting stories of some truly wild stuff. Um, but like when you when they're not when they're not on when they're not performing, it's just it's it was very 
I think it was great to kind of see that because, like, oh, here are these guys who've been on TV and they've really seen and done it all, but like they're really they're really approachable and they gave a lot of good advice and you know they were just like guys you could just enjoy talking with and I think mm-hmm. that really helped me kind of put my mind at ease. Like anytime I would henceforth see somebody else who was like a TV star or whatever, a big esteemed veteran that kind of took a lot of the nerves away from me. So I guess that's, that's something I kind of got away. I took away from them, like interacting with them. Um, I can't really say I had too many meals with these guys, you know, like after training or after a show or whatever, but um, Mm -hmm. just some of the interactions I would have with them and some of the stuff they would teach me are things that, that definitely leave an imprint on me. In fact, um, I actually had a little tribute to Buddy uh, on my arm because I got these tattoos a couple of years ago uh, that were focusing on like my favorite <clears throat> wrestling masks, the ones that meant the most to me. And so I have like Kane and Mankind, and then I have uh, the Executioner from WrestleMania One. And so that's my little ode to Buddy there. And then below <laughs> him, I've got Strong Bad, who is not a wrestler, but in fact a an internet cartoon. But he kind of fits the bill for me. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, you you have that shirt, and I've seen you wear it, the classic buddy shirt. I've worked hard for this body. You know, if you yeah. ever did an event, you could say instead of weighing in at 217, could you drop and say, I weigh under 217 pounds, mister? Uh, maybe. I mean, I'm getting to that point, though, where I'm going to have to start lying about my weight. Because, oh, no. Uh, the holidays have been were rough on me. The holidays <laughs> and the move were very stressful and rough on me, let's just say. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you made a move here recently, too. I mean, what's that been like, too? I mean, uh, you have a family and stuff, too. How how interactive uh, do they get as far as, like, you know, supporting you, watching your content? I mean, they're, you know, you have, they're younger, but, I mean, what do you get? What kind of feedback do you get? Are they any, you have wrestling fans in your house besides yourself? Really. I mean, my wife, she doesn't really, she's not as passionate about it, but, like, I inform her about, like, wrestling stuff, and she's always been very supportive of my endeavors and is supportive of the channel and everything she's been just a great help for it and uh my kids i got two girls eight and six and uh they i've been kind of watching i've been having them like watch some wrestling with me like as long as i know it's like not going to be like attitude era stuff which is just really i don't think very appropriate but it's like i I don't want them to watch my stuff because i do swear a lot in it and there's also a lot of stuff that would go over their heads Mm -hmm. um but I've had them watch wrestling with me, and sometimes it can get a little too intense. And they'll both just be like amped up and jumping off the walls and stuff. And I'm I'm trying to sit there taking notes because I'm doing this for work. I'm like, yo, you cannot watch me right now. It's too much. But um, no, it's fun to to watch them and stuff. And I remember, guy, it was like three or about three years ago. I, I uh, worked a show in Reno, and uh, I was really excited because my oldest was going to be there. Oh, she's never seen live wrestling before. Sure. She's going to see me, and like. I'm in one of the first segments and I have a bit of a promo off with another manager. And like, by the end, we're both just kind of yelling at each other and both angry. And like that traumatized my kid who was watching me. She'd never seen anyone yell at me like that before. So it was like, she was just like, she was virtually inconsolable for the rest of the night. I'm like, sweetie, can you just make it like, I mean, like just chill. I'm, I'm part of the main event. I kind of have to be there the whole time and I'm your ride. So like, it's just like, <laughs> Please just be chill, and um, no, it's it's fun though. And I, I mean, I think as they get older, I would love to take them to more shows and uh, just get to interact with them more, and just hopefully, like, uh, you know, they're uh, they've been cool with it. It's been great, and they think it's fun that their dad is on YouTube and occasionally on like TikTok and stuff. You know, it's uh, it's definitely been cool to to have them grow up with with their dad as somebody who's like this online personality and then into mm-hmm. wrestling. 
You're listening to Wrestling Memories with our guest, Brian Zane. We're going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation. Mike, I know you might have a question, two, three, even four. Well, not about four, but I got a couple. Uh, no, it's kind of funny, Brian. Your, your family life sounds a lot like mine. My wife, you know, she'll watch wrestling if it's on the TV, if we're in the same room. She's not a fan of it as I am. Uh, my son loved it. Now he's more into horror films and wanting to do special effects and things like that. And my daughters couldn't care less. <laughs> so we kind of got the same thing. They, you know, But my kids think it's kind of fun. Hey, Dad does the radio show. Hey, Dad talks these. And my son, you know, he still watches the YouTube stuff. And I happened to turn on our TV one time, and he still had YouTube on, and you appeared on my TV. And I was like, oh, you were watching Wrestling with Regret. And I mentioned you. And Wait. You know a YouTuber? Blew my son's mind. He thought it was the greatest thing that I knew a YouTube personality, man. It's so thank you for that. You you gave me a little shine in my son's eyes for a few minutes. <laughs> oh, good. I'm, I'm glad I could do that, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I'd like to talk about, uh, this came up recently. I follow a lot of the Facebook groups, and one of them is obviously Cult of Cornette. And you came up recently because you had done some videos. Uh, the Vince Russo one, I still love your Vince Russo impression. That guy is a character in his own. And, of course, we remember at the end of it, you know, Jim Cornette got to, you know, punch Vince Russo, which, you know, he loved doing that. But, you know, there's been some fallout. We don't have to go into details in this, but it's come up again. And people are now watching the video again. It's been posted in the Coulter Cornette page, you know, the Vince Russo video or not. So it's getting attention. What was it like working with Jim Cornette and getting to do the video? And then, you know, if you don't mind my asking, I mean, if you don't want to talk about it again, what exactly kind of happened to the fallout? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, like I said, once I got more into managing and once I just kind of like started looking back more at the history, I really kind of came to fall in love with, with Cornette because I thought he had a great promo style and I thought – his mannerisms were awesome. And it's funny because, like, again, watching back and realizing, oh, my, I've kind of unintentionally, you know, like uh, emulated his style, which wasn't my intention. But it was like I still thought he was a hell of a character. I loved his work. And um, getting – so, like the, the, again, the Cornette comparisons were very much frequent uh, in my man days. And so I kind of took that and made the Cornette Gets It Wrong skit, which was, like, one of my first real – videos that helped blow the channel up and um that video came out and like jim Cornette himself like endorsed it and put it on twitter like he shared it and that was really awesome like so did the young bucks and cole cabana which is pretty funny in hindsight that they they, all three of them like shared it but it was um yeah that was amazing to get that seal of approval from him and then uh, to get in touch with him and to work with him on like a skit and he and i bounced some ideas off for like this vince russo skit idea um, and getting to go to Louisville and work with him and interview him as well was definitely a dream come true. Um, and yeah, it was great. And like, since then he'd appeared a couple more times. He had like a phone cameo at one point. It was, it was really cool. And then unfortunately what happened was like the, the real breaking point was I was making this comment on Twitter about comparing wrestling to a circus. And that's kind of like, there's something for everybody. It's kind of a variety show. And, um, Somebody, some people misinterpreted that as the way I worded it. Some people misinterpreted it as like anti cornet or it was kind of shit throwing him shade, which was not my intention. But then, like, again, he got tagged in it, and that's what people do. They tag Jim Cornette and things like, What do you think about this? You should swear at them. And so 
he, you know, he just kind of saw that and he said, oh, interesting take, nice knowing you. And he blocked me on Twitter, which was like, that's really extra. Like, why would you do that after everything we've worked on together? And so, yeah, I made that, I made a video kind of calling him out on that. And it was, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's over and done with basically. I'm definitely not of the opinion on it now that I had back then. I certainly mellowed out. Um, and, you know, it's, it's too bad that it went the way that it did and that we had a falling out. I don't like to have ill will toward anyone. Uh, I just felt we had some big philosophical differences and he was leaning more into his and I was leaning more into mine uh, about wrestling and what we think passes for entertainment in wrestling. And he's entitled to his opinion and I'm entitled to mine. And that's just kind of how it was. And, you know, like he's kind of gone his own way he's he's doing what works for him and i'm doing what works for me basically so i mean maybe one day i'd like to be able to say hi to him and maybe just to kind of like try and bury the hatchet and put water under the bridge i don't know if he's into that sort of thing reconciliation i don't know if that's really his bag but uh it's something that you know i'm definitely interested in pursuing maybe if the time is right all right one other video i'd like to discuss real quick and then i want to talk kind of about your you know your ring of honor uh work but a video and this is a personal favorite of mine and i'm sure you'll know why is you did the video about a man that's been mentioned on this show before and that is super tramp highly entertaining i still laugh watching that video uh but can you kind of give a brief synopsis of the super tramp story for our listeners who may not know well yeah super tramp is a guy who pretends to be a wrestler and he would go to shows and he was like Oh, do you want a signed picture of me and my mask? Do you want like look at these promo pictures of me and a mask and me dressed as Hillbilly Jim? That means I was a wrestler, yeah. And um, yeah, and people bought it for a long time, and then people started asking him questions, and he was like, "Bye," and you never saw him again. Uh, yeah, he managed to fool a lot of people. He got into a couple of like local indie hall of fames in Canada somehow uh, for, for his lack of contribution. Cause like when you really break it down, it's like, Oh my God, there's like no evidence. This guy ever wrestled. And when you, when he's pressed for it, he comes up with these really interesting excuses like, Oh, like, Oh, my wife got all the, uh, all the footage and all the pictures of me. In the the vengeful ex-wife destroyed all his memorabilia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course no one else on earth has possession of his footage or any memorabilia. <laughs> so, it's like, oh, what a what a perfect uh, way to write that off. And yeah, it was, I mean, that video, God, that's an ancient video, but it was like, it was fun to kind of, again, exercise the demons and get some thoughts out and like p- paint it in a broader picture about how there's lots of people out there who like, who do that, who just straight up lie there in wrestling. Of all the different ways you could like hustle people out of money, uh, I think pretending to be a wrestler is gotta be the, the weakest one because like, it's just such a, weird thing to lie about and i guess it must be easy to convince people but i mean i had a dude at a bus stop tell me he was dynamite kid you know like it's just uh one of those things where anyone can seemingly do it but this guy seemed to you know have fun doing it but i was like this is ridiculous i i brief for a while even had like a facebook group dedicated to that whole phenomenon but it's i think i think i've closed it since then but uh, no, it was, yes, it's it was just a weird thing. It, it's just a weird, it's a weird bit of my of my personal wrestling history that I know is somewhat uni- universal. And so, uh, yeah, it was just fun to again talk about that and just have some fun with it. I highly recommend our listeners if they have the chance go on to the YouTube channel, find the video because it's in. 
entertaining, just the kind of the way you tell the story. And a lot of the ways you tell the stories and your reactions and kind of your comments are just absolutely hilarious. And then you find out that, like you said, and I found out more, there are a lot of guys out there that have created these personas that have absolutely no validity. They have no way of proof. There's nothing. And there are historians that have covered the Portland and Canada territories back to the 1800s, Vance, Nevada. Not one result for Supertramp. But yet he still wrestled. Yeah. It helps the fact it helps the fact that like his name is a band. So if you try and Google it, it like all that just bogs it down. You can't and then like if you you know, it's like all his what I thought was fascinating was his like Facebook fan page, all this fan art from people, like of course no pictures of him wrestling. Like you can't get that, but you'll get a lot of drawings of him wrestling. So he's he's wrestled a lot more on paper than he had in real life, let's put it that way. I'd like to, before the interview ends here, we're coming close to the end of our show, but I'd like to talk a little bit about the work you've done with uh, Ring of Honor. You kind of, you know, got your name out there and we're doing some stuff with them. And obviously now Tony Khan is bringing back Ring of Honor with, uh, you know, the Honor Club and there's going to be a weekly show. But let's talk kind of a little bit about your time working with them. And is there any possibility in the future? Has that been discussed? Has Tony Khan reached out to you? (laughs) <laughs> no, he's, you know, he responded to a tweet of mine once. It really caught me off guard, but uh, no, we've never had any kind of interactions. Um, yeah, God, I really can't say enough good things about my time in Ring of Honor. I absolutely loved my time there. It was in 2019 where I actually reached out because I was like, I actually, I think I reached out to Ian Riccoboni because we were like Twitter friends. And I'm like, hey, do you think there's like, any room for a manager here at ROH? Like, can I do something? And he's like, well, like, uh, Delirious is a big fan of yours, and there's a few people in this company who are big fans of yours, so you should definitely put your name in. I'm like, oh, that's rad. So, uh, yeah, I sent, like, a reel, and uh, they said, well, we don't really have room for a manager, but I'd love to get you on, like, to be an interviewer and, this, and like, to host, like, countdowns on the TV show. I'm like, that's, that's awesome. And so, yeah, I flew down to Las Vegas for, it was uh, Death Before Dishonor weekend. And uh, that was my first experience with ROH and getting to meet the people there. They were so cool. And, like, of course, this is, like, late 2019 when, like, PR for ROH was not good. There was a lot of, like, bad juju surrounding the company that time. But it's, like, just to be part of an organization with so much history behind it and, like, look at this, like, pipeline of talent that has come through Ring of Honor and done great things. Like, I'm part of this history now. Like, that was just like that was a takeaway if i accomplished nothing else i could say you know what i was part of roh and you know you can't take that away from me and it was so cool to be able to do the interviews and like that went beyond just that weekend in vegas and i would keep coming back and then like the pandemic happened which was like god i'll never forget it was the day i was supposed to fly out to vegas for the 18th anniversary show and that was the day they shut everything down and said, nope, we're not doing the show. It's all canceled. Da, da, da. And that crushed me. That was definitely one of the biggest like disappointments of my, my career, not being able to be part of that. But um, then I came back later as they were adding more people to the pandemic tapings and the bubble in Baltimore. And so, yeah, it felt great to be part of that and be part of Best in the World and um, Final Battle, doing commentary for those shows. It was, yeah, it was just amazing. I I mean, I never would have thought that my YouTube channel would get me this far, but like to have that connection and have that opportunity because of what my channel accomplished way more than any of my years of like managing ever did 
was incredibly validating and the roster like everyone i interacted with in roh was so cool um and just so supportive it was definitely like a family team environment there like for all the words for all the the, the bad talk about roh during this time like the roster itself uh, in my uh, recollection was phenomenal um and it was just really cool vibes it was uh and it was sad when the whole thing ended at the end of uh, you know final battle and we had that last like, after party afterward and it was uh, very bittersweet i it was um something that I'll, I'll never forget i'm so glad that i had that chance to to be on television and pay-per-view with this historic company and you know uh actually i was supposed to be originally before the buyout i was supposed to be part of supercard of honor last year in texas uh it was my understanding that it was supposed to be me and denise salcedo as co-hosts and we would kind of like go back and forth to us between matches and stuff and then the buyout happened and then they kept denise they didn't keep me and that's fine because denise is awesome and i think she did great with her her role there um and yeah i mean like i, I don't know if i'm gonna be part of the new roh that's never come up basically like from any official sources um but i again loved my time there uh if it if it if it never comes back or it never happens again, like I can live with that and just live knowing that I, I got to achieve my dream of being signed and being part of a company like Ring of Honor. So going from the kid in 1997 that, you know, played a video game on the Nintendo 64 for the weekend, going into, you know, wrestling, managing, uh, wrestling with regret, Ring of Honor, looking back at all that now people you know you go out people recognize you i see people here in texas and they'll be wearing a uh, wrestling with regret shirt and i'll be like oh that's my buddy brian what you know him and they're just fascinated you know <laughs> how does that kind of make you feel that you know you went from being the kid playing the video game to oh, a very recognized you know social media guy on with the youtube channel yeah i mean it's incredibly humbling i've uh you know there's a part of me as a kid growing up, I always wanted to be a performer. I always wanted to be like an actor or something like that. Um, and, you know, I've kind of said this before to other people. I kind of think YouTube is like low risk Hollywood because YouTube is a show or YouTube is a platform where you can like gain an audience and gain a following, but you don't have to like put in the work of like moving to LA and finding an agent and doing auditions. Like I absolutely lucked into whatever modicum of fame that I have because of YouTube and just time and persistence and luck. Um, and you know, it's been great. And like to go to, I don't think it really dawned on me just how big it had gotten until like, I had just hit like a hundred thousand subscribers. It's the 2016, I believe. And we uh, were in Dallas for mania 32 and that was my first like experience at a convention and like i had like i had sabu at my table at wrestlecon and there were like almost oh, as that's many people right. there were almost as many people who came to see me and like were marking out over me as there were people marking out over sabu i i couldn't believe that um it was just like this really humbling experience and i don't take it for granted i i, I feel so privileged to uh for the channel to have gotten as far as it has uh, i'm celebrating 10 years of doing this channel in 2023 and it's been just i never thought it would get to this point and just so for people to recognize me and mark out for me it's just like it's it's mind-blowing and i never thought i could really achieve that but it's just it's uh it's the power of youtube and it's the it's 
uh, it's been wonderful. And I, I don't take it for granted. I, I really appreciate the fans who've always reached out to me and supported me and like said hi or like messaged me. Uh, it's just, it's, it's been wonderful. I, I can't come up with, uh, it's, there's, I'm not, I'm not that great with words when it comes down to it. So like, trying to find other words to describe it is hard for me because it's really just what I feel. I'm just grateful for having the chance to be in people's lives and to make an impact. Like when people message me and say, Oh my God, like your show got me out of a depression or, uh, you know, it really cheered me up when I was going through a big breakup. Like really? Cause like, this is just me. You know, I'm, I'm just making jokes. I'm making like dumb jokes about wrestling and it's, it, it means a lot to people. And so seeing that kind of feedback means a lot to me and it, it really motivates me to keep me going. If our listeners are interested and want to kind of find out more about Wrestling with Regret and uh, your work, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, well, of course, the channel Wrestling with Regret, that's with a W at the beginning, that is on YouTube. And we just uh, crossed, we're, we're about 340,000 subscribers now. And um, you can find me there. I'm on Twitter at Z-Man Brian Zane, albeit I have significantly reduced my Twitter time um, from day to day, like compared to a few months ago. Uh, and that's much better for my mental health. I'm also on Instagram at Brian Zane. I'm on Cameo at Z-Man Brian Zane. If you want a personalized message from me, um, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wrestling with Regrets, where you can find all my merch. Uh, there is going to be a new Decade of Regret shirt dropping very soon as we are recording this, so be on the lookout for that. Um, I'm trying to think of what else you can find me at. There's the Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash wrestling with regret. That's, uh, and like also, I am going to be doing commentary for, uh, well, I have been, and I'm going to be doing more commentary for Midget Wrestling Warriors, which is Short Sleeve Samson's operation. And um, we are just now starting to film for TV this year. So we're going to be in uh, Nebraska. We're going to be in New Mexico, Arizona, Indiana, just in the next couple of months alone. So you can go to uh, midgetwarriors.com to find out more about that. All right. Glenn, I'm going to pass the microphone back over to you. All right, it's uh, just a few seconds left of the show. I want to thank our guest, Brian Zane, and of course, my co-host, Grizzle Vet Mike McCurdy, down there deep in the heart of Texas. For Wrestling Memories, I'm Glenn Brockett.